Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. Hello everyone, this is Shannon, and I am here with a really, really exciting author interview, as well as a very few new releases for this week. This interview is with debut author Jessica Riley Miller, and talking to her was such a pleasure. She is writing a fantastic urban fantasy series, and I cannot wait for her to tell you about it. So if you are a fan of urban fantasy or paranormal romance, definitely stay tuned. And also, if you're a fan of fantasy, you'll want to pay attention to the new releases this week because there are several really cool fantasy novels coming out. So without any further ado, let's get into the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And now let's move on to the interview with Jessica Riley Miller, author of The Ash Curse Chronicles. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am joined by author Jessica Riley Miller, and we are here to talk about some fantastic urban fantasy, um, her Ash Curse Chronicles. So, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thanks, Shannon. It's so good to be here. So I usually like to start off by having authors tell listeners a little bit about the work that we're going to be talking about. Sure. So what the, my first book just came out in September and basically I had this idea to take the trope where you have uh, the main character who basically thinks that she's, she's seeing visions. And so, you know, they're, they're disrupting her life they're violent visions. She's very confused by them. Um, and, and I took that and, and the visions actually were something else. So um, I, I tried to take us on this journey of what we thought was happening was not actually what was happening. Very early on, her grandfather goes missing um, and he becomes a suspect in a murder investigation. So she is, our main character is Maggie. And so she is trying to figure out what is going on with what she thinks are visions, um, what's going on with her grandfather. um, and, And that's where the story begins. So you have a full length novel, which is The Ash Curse, but then you also have a prequel novella. 
Do you find that the prequel is sort of necessary to understand the world building or do you kind of anticipate people like picking that up after the novel? Like how does that fit in for you? It really could be either way. Um, The prequel is a completely separate story and basically the prequel was me playing with um, the, the friendship between my main character and her college best friend. Um, oh. uh-huh. So the, the prequel is actually written from the point of view of the best friend, whereas the rest of the series is written from Maggie's perspective. So as you sat down and actually came up with the idea for this, were you guided um, by other tropes aside from the whole idea of like visions that may or may not be otherworldly? Well, Shannon, I have to tell you, I started out as a mystery writer. And okay. So my, um, I, I've written quite a few mysteries that have not been published. I mean, this is my first published novel. And um, the more I started playing with with um, some ideas I was having, the more I thought, this isn't this isn't actually um, as much fitting in the mystery genre. It it really is more urban fantasy with these elements. But one thing I think readers will notice is that a lot of the tropes you see in mysteries, um, you're gonna see in this book. And I think that's true with a lot of urban fantasy. Like if you look at some of the things that are popular, even if they're not mysteries like from beginning to end there's usually some sort of mystery element like if you look at like the charlie davidson books for example you know she is a private investigator of sorts um you know the same can be said of people like ali beckstrom or even um charles and anna from patricia briggs alpha and omega series they usually find themselves embroiled in some sort of intrigue so i think mystery fits so nicely into urban fantasy, as does romance. I think that's one of the best things about this genre. Could not agree with you more. And I love a good slow burn romance. So for the Ash Curse, how do you see things kind of developing? Like, do you plan to continue showing us these same characters will you introduce more people into the world like how how do you see this going um in as much as you can say without you know ruining things obviously absolutely um so right now i think that i'm looking at a five book series arc Um, the main characters that you have met will continue to be the same main characters um as a matter of fact, my I'm getting the second book back from the editor probably next week. Um, and I think all the main characters are the same. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I am, I, and I personally just tend to like getting to know the characters over the course of a, of a book. Now there is um, a big bad that you don't meet in the first book and you don't meet in the second book but that is present kind of beneath the surface and you kind of will find this out, but, um, but you really will meet kind of like the, the big, big bad around book three. Okay. 
So I agree with you that getting to know the characters over the course of a multi-book arc is really excellent. And I think, again, that's one of the things that draws me to urban fantasy because you see the same people developing. And sometimes they're developing like personally, sometimes it's magically, sometimes it's both. But you really come to feel like you know these characters after a while. And so I always look forward to that when I start a new urban fantasy series, like discovering the world, getting to know the characters. Um, Can we talk a little bit about the world building in your series? Sure, absolutely. So Natalia, who is one of the Book Bistro co-hostesses, her favorite way to describe urban fantasy is something like Obama is sitting in a bar in New York City with a vampire. And I just, I love that description. I keep telling her that, you know, one day she's going to have to sit down and write this book about Obama and a vampire. Yes, I would 100% read that book. Yeah, instead of the audacity of hope, maybe the audacity of the vampire. (laughs) Yes, something like that. Um, And so that's just, it's one of the things that's so interesting about the multiple ways people can write in this genre, because you can see a place like New York City, for example, And New York City doesn't look the same in, you know, two urban fantasy series. So when you were creating your world, was it difficult for you to sort of overlay like the real world with the supernatural and to kind of decide like what elements of each you wanted to keep? That is such a good question. I, okay. So now I'm thinking back. So the, my main story is set in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and, and Norfolk, to me, and I, I've lived there before, I don't live there now. Um, it, it's a really interesting place. So it's, it's right on the water, um, but it's an older town and there's a lot of arts and it's, it's a town like it has a, so mermaids are its thing. Mermaid statues are everywhere. And to me, it's always a town that has seemed like it's right on the edge of some magic. You know, there, there's just this element that's, that's older, that's unexplained. Um, there's some kind of um, cool vibes that just have this certain something. And so to me, like when I started writing this series and when I started developing this, um, this, this newspaper that's central to my world, which um, is a supernatural tabloid that, you know, everybody thinks is ha ha ha, so ridiculous, but it's, it's, (laughs) you know, world famous, right? This this paranormal tabloid, uh, but really, um, but really it hides some of the, the most real news that you can get as hidden in this newspaper. It seems to me like Norfolk, Virginia meets this magical world meets this, um, this tabloid. It, it, it came very naturally to me. That's amazing. And I think a strong sense of place is so vital, I think, to any good series, but especially a series that involves magic. Because if you have a place that just doesn't feel magical, Mm-hmm. then I feel like the whole premise of the book just kind of sinks. You're like, well, like this could be, like maybe, but there's something that's just missing when the world doesn't come alive. And so I love that Norfolk for you 
was a very natural choice here. And I think it definitely shows through in your work that this is a place that you really feel, you know, strongly magically connected to. Well, that's a big compliment. Thank you. So you talk about mermaids and I think mermaids are very, very cool. Something we don't see a lot of in, um, in urban fantasy in general, but I love that like there are actually mermaid statues um, in the city and that you can kind of honor them, you know, even if they aren't um, creatures who actually exist in the world. I just think that's cool. Mermaids and unicorns um, are some of my favorites. So I think that's, that's very awesome. Do you have a favorite like, paranormal creature or being Oh, that is a good question too. Okay. So my favorite, like theoretical, my theoretical favorite would probably be um, Griffins. Um, I, I think that they are really interesting and you don't see them a lot. So it's true. It really kind of sparks the imagination. Now, my favorite as far as what I can just really obsess over and uh, kind of fantasize about, vampires, Shannon. I There is a special place in my heart for vampires. And actually, when I, uh, before I wrote this book, I, um, I'm trying to decide if this is spoilers. I, I'm not going to give the spoilers. I'm not going to say the actual creature because she doesn't figure out until like halfway through the book what kind of creature is going on. So I'm not going to say it. But. Ah, okay. <laughs> but um, but what I really wanted to do in my um, in my in my world was I wanted to have a being that was eternal and sexy and. Um, could just have layers upon layers of backstory, like vampires. Because that's yes. why I love vampires. So that's yes. what I wanted. Because vampires can live like for thousands and thousands of years. And so there's so much backstory that like even just one vampire can have. Oh, I love it. Do you have some favorite like literary vampires that you enjoy reading about? Okay, so I'm a, I'm a big Sookie fan. Um, ah, yes. I love the Sookie Stackhouse series. Um, I've seen Charlene Harris speak several times and I just think she's amazing and smart and generous with her uh, knowledge and kindness. Um, so, so she definitely would be uh, my number one. Um, I love the, the Vampire Diaries, the series actually on TV I loved, although I went through all the books too. There are so many different iterations of vampires in literature. Like you have kind of like the sparkly vampires, like a la Twilight. But then you also have like the dark brooding vampires that you encounter, you know, in things like like the Anne Rice novels or right. even to some degree like J.R. Ward's Black Dagger Brotherhood. Right. Um, you have. You loved. Yes, you have some vampires who can eat food and some vampires who can't. Right. Um, there are even some vampires who can, upon occasion, walk in sunlight. So I think there's just so much like myth and magic that can be applied to these species. So when you were creating your various characters, did you kind of 
take a mixture of things that you had previously enjoyed or did you like just sit down and say okay if I could create any kind of creature like how how would this be that's exactly what I did Um, okay well kind of a combination of both really I I wanted something that was um fresh enough to be different but familiar enough for it to not be a huge stretch for readers um and so you know I took a lot of characteristics from vampires that I that I liked and then um there was an element um and and I I do feel comfortable sharing this part but but the surprise element of reincarnation ah Um, yes and and that piece for me was kind of like the the one that I hadn't seen quite as much where I, I actually don't know. It's been a long time since I've read a book, a fantasy novel that, that used that. Um, and so I wanted to play with, play with that a little bit. Yeah. I think we see reincarnation. Like there's, there are some romances that kind of use that as a trope, like, you know, disconnected lovers, like through time. Yes. But you don't tend to see it as much in urban fantasy. I think partly because a lot of the characters that, you know, we focus on are, if not immortal, like pretty close to it. So you don't really have like a good way to like reincarnate. You know, if you're already going to live for thousands of years, like how do you then like die and, and come back as someone or something else well and you and you don't need to if right so so I feel like there are kind of two urban fantasy camps like kind of the more dark and brooding urban fantasy and then like the light and fluffy kind of that it's made to make you laugh (laughs) which of those do you enjoy most or do you kind of flip between them depending on your mood? So I personally tend to like the middle. Um, I, I really like the, I like the dark, but I don't like like the, the cringy, like, you know, the stuff that's really bloody. Um, I, so Fa- the Fae Fever series. Oh yes. That's an interesting one to me. Um, and, and that is, by the way, one of my favorites. I do really enjoy that series. Um, yeah, those are great books. I, and, and I went back to reread it just, I mean, maybe 15 years after I read it the first time and well, gosh, maybe those books haven't even been out that long. It feels like a long time. I, I was going to say it's, it seems like I, I, I was reading the <laughs> fifth one. I'm trying to think, I feel like I was reading the fifth one in like 2010 maybe okay so it's not 15 years no I mean it could be close though because you figured even if she did one a year right so I would say you know 13 to 15 years ago they started many many moons ago when I read those books what (laughs) what I remembered was how dark they ended um but then when I went back to reread, I had forgotten how light they started. Um, and, and they didn't stay light the whole first book, but, but it was the first book to me had a much lighter feel than the, than the books that came after. Um, and I, and I, I like that. I like watching 
the main character kind of enter this this world of darkness and confusion um, and following them on their journey um, through a series. So I personally enjoy humor, but I'm not a person who is drawn to books that are supposed to make you laugh out loud. Like that's just never been something that I've been drawn to. So one of the things that I tend to look for is kind of that darker end of the urban fantasy spectrum where like you can have some humor, you can have some good like sarcastic quips, but the world isn't set up um, as like a way to be humorous or amusing. And I enjoyed like with your novel that, you know, it wasn't light and fluffy to the point of like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm, I'm unable to like take this seriously, but neither, you know, was it like horror, you know, it, it, I think walked that middle line um, really nicely. And I'm eager to see how things evolve for your characters as the series goes on and just sort of to know, you know, do things get darker for them? Does it kind of stay in that like middle plane um, that works so nicely? Um, well, thank you for saying that. I, you know, when you asked me that question about what I like to read, I was even thinking at the same time, well, gosh, and, it, and it's been so hard for me to know how my work comes across on that spectrum. Um, because, you know, I know how other books affect me, but it's, it's, I, I am so unable to be objective about my own work. And I would never say, oh, this book is really funny. Um, but I have <laughs> readers say like, oh, she's so funny when she says such and such. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like funny, like she's kind of sarcastic, but I didn't really, it's exactly what you're saying. So, so thank you for putting words to that for me. Um, I, I will say I, I asked some of my, my beta readers with, with the sequel. Um, I said, is this too dark? Like, is this too, too far from the tone that I had in the first one? Um, just it, it, things ramp up. Um, and okay. And there are some, there are some answers. Um, there are some answers to some questions that I know readers still had at the beginning of the first book, but there's also a lot of um, tension and darkness and, and, and things like that. And, and I just, I mean, every single person that I shared that book, you know, there were some other things I needed to work on, but they were like, no, 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 no. It's not too dark. It's not too dark. And I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> I do think it's a little bit darker though, the second one. So you mentioned having beta readers and I love when authors, you know, give their work to other people like before they're published and just have them pay attention and kind of give it that like look through and just say, you know, is this like, does this feel on point? Does this feel um, like complete in a way that you know, maybe it might not if the author themselves just like went through it a few times. Right. So I, I applaud you for taking those extra steps and making sure that your work, I think, comes across um, in the best possible way. I wish that more authors were comfortable doing that. Well, thank you for saying that. I have to just say at this point, I think I'd be re remiss at this point in the conversation. I 
literally could not do this. I have the smartest, I, I just have the smartest people that read for me. Um, I have a, I have a really incredible editor and actually talk about urban fantasy, talk about urban fantasy writers who write mysteries. Um, Christine Amston, who wrote the Cassie Scott Chronicles, she's my editor. She is brilliant. <gasps> Now I have seen those, but I have oh, never read them and what? they look amazing. Good. And I think I read that first one. I mean, I shot through that whole series in a week. And when it came time, this confusing, it was a little bit confusing. I mean, it was COVID worlds and my um, sure. first editor fell through and you know, I was like, man, I really, I really did want to, you know, get this book out soon. It's, um, and, and I had just read her whole series and I saw that she, um, took clients and I, I I was just so grateful when she agreed to take me on. Um, but just so smart and, and, uh, you know, I, I've had some of my beta readers, uh, we have read for each other for over 10 years and I'm just, you know, they're, they're wonderful and they're amazing people. And I'm just so thankful and humbled um, that, that they continue to read for me and encourage me. And, you know, you have that kind of relationship with somebody and it's, they have almost as much interest. I, I would even just say just as much um, interest in my uh, success as, as they do for their own writing. I mean, it's just really special. So can we talk a little bit about your writing process and just kind of sure. how writing works for you? Sure. Um, so, so I have been writing like a lot, probably for about 10 years. Um, and my process has really evolved over the years. Um, and, you know, it took a long time for me to land on, hey, this is what I really love to write. And when I landed on this is what I love to write, which is right now, you know, this urban fantasy, very heavy mystery elements, um, I really perfected, I wouldn't say perfected because you're having to just change it all the time. I, I, got, I got better at my process. Um, so... A few years ago, I started getting up early. You know, obviously I have a day job. So um, I feel a lot better in my whole life if I get my writing done first thing in the morning. Usually it's 5 to 7 a.m. these days because I have a toddler and a job and it's just, you know, better better for everyone in my life if I get it done early. Um, I usually will have a pretty... Um, serious outline that I write to. I'm, I'm a big believer in plotting. Um, and especially like, I think I mentioned to you, I have this five book series planned. Like one thing with a series, in my opinion, not everybody's like this, but you know, your main character drives the book, but your villain really drives the series in a way. That's true. I've never really thought about it in quite that way, but that, that is actually very true because if uh -huh. the villain... I mean, obviously the main character like has to grow and evolve as well, but if the villain stays static, then it's just kind of like, well, right. Okay. So what? So for it to have kind of that satisfying feel, you know, and this is not universally true, obviously, but with the way I write for it to have that satisfying feel, I had to plan out 
like, okay, well, this is the ultimate terrible scenario. How am I going to work back from there? You know, but, and yet there's still this sense of like this almost growing doom. (laughs) See, now that really does sound dark. Oh, yes. See that? That's beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful doom. Get excited for the next book, Shannon. (laughs) I will be waiting. Yeah. So, um, and, and I actually, um, I, I reached a point where I almost got a little bit burned out with how much that I was writing and I switched to longhand. Oh, I know. Isn't that so funny that in this day and age, and man, it helped me so much. The whole Ash Curse I wrote by hand first. Wow. Did that take a long time? It took, no, it really didn't. I want to say I wrote that novel. So I was a teacher at that time. I want to say I wrote that novel over the summer, one summer. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by the time I was typing it in, that was already a second draft. Right. You already had mm-hmm. kind of the kinks of the first draft, like figured out, and then you could go in and, and redraft and edit what you needed to and make necessary changes, which I imagine would be a lot easier to do, um, you know, typing than in longhand. Oh, a thousand times easier to do typing. (laughs) Like I cannot imagine trying to write, you know, and then like say, oh no, wait, maybe like this, (laughs) maybe this scene, you know, is better like toward the end of the book. And you're like, yes, but like I already wrote it like this. (laughs) Yeah, no, all my edits happened um, once it was typed in. But but it was funny because I just, like, like I'll hit, I'll have these moments and being on the computer, it's too much like being at work. So, you know, being writing in my notebook, that's, that's fun. New and different. Yeah. So you talk about kind of having things, you know, firmly plotted out when you sit down to write. Have you ever like written yourself into a corner and then been like, wait, like this, this doesn't work this way. Oh, yes. And I have one of my, one of my beta readers. <laughs> so it's funny in a lot of ways, like there's some details. I mean, they're just going to be locked in my mind, but, but really ultimately I am a big picture person. <laughs> so in almost every one of my, in almost every one of my um, stories, I'll have this one beta reader and she, and she'll be like, I have no idea what day it is. Like you went oh. from Monday to Friday and what's happening here? Like she's waking up to have breakfast and then she's going on a dinner date. What's happening, Jessica? What's happening? <laughs> so, I mean, and that kind of thing is not hard to, to go back and finesse. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely some other complex issues that sometimes I'll see that I wrote myself into a corner and then sometimes somebody else will point out like, dude, this really doesn't work. Um, and a lot of times, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not that bad to fix. I, I really don't mind editing. I really don't mind spending a lot of time revising. Like I, that's, that's just part of this whole gig to me. Like, I just want to make it as good of a book as possible. Um, but, but, you know, every once in a while, I'll need to just let those gray cells work on it for for a little while. So you write your first draft. When do you start sending like to beta readers? Like when do people actually get to see your work? How far along in your process? Sure. Well, um, so I, 
I actually have a, I'm pretty systematic these days. I, I will send to my first round of beta readers after my second draft. Okay. Uh huh. And then, so then you do those first like edits kind of that you see right. yourself and then, right. and then I'll send it to readers and then, um, I'll, I always will make adjustments. Um, and then I'll send it out to a second group of beta readers. I never ask anybody to beta for me for the same book twice. That's kind of counterproductive. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then usually by the time I'm getting it ready for my editor after that second round of beta readers, like usually I'm not having to make like a ton of changes at that, at that point, I'm usually pretty happy with what I'm sending. Okay. So then it goes to your editor and then you have to, I guess, make the changes like that the editor right. then gives yes. to you. Yes. And she's, I have yet to find something that I've thought, oh no, you're not right about that. Like she just is very good. So are you a self-published author or do you work with a traditional publisher? No, I'm self-published. That is amazing. Um, my very favorite urban fantasy author um, is Yasmin Galanorn, and she worked with traditional publishers for a long time. And then kind of, I think it was about five years ago now, she made the choice to go indie. And she talks about how that helped her because she already had an established fan base that would either, you know, go with her or not, but she had readers, you know, people knew kind of who she was. So I'm wondering as someone who has written your first novel and self-published it, like, how are you, how are you doing some of the like promoting and publicizing that, you know, you might've had help with if you were working with a traditional publisher? Right. Oh, that's such a good question. So um, I am trying to give myself a little bit of time to learn that piece of it. Um, (laughs) And as a matter of fact, when you reached out to me, I was belatedly realizing <laughs> this is embarrassing. But yes, I am going to admit it on your podcast because I'm pleased with you. I am. <laughs> Thank you. And it is a warm and inviting space that you have created. So um, I one, one of the things I just kick myself about so much, like I don't buy books without reviews. And, you know, one of the very first things I should have done before I published was get a, a team to oh, yes. copies. And so, you know, for me, I, I, I just, I kind of, it boggled my mind that I, I hadn't gotten people to read and review before publication, um, which that will, that will change. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of study. I've read um, quite a few books about independent publishing and, you know, some, some of the Facebook groups. It's, it's study, you know, it's, it's a skill like you learn anything else. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm reading the book right now. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's so good. It's called Deep Work. Um, and it's, it's just all about increasing productivity. Um, I have not heard of that. I am oh, not. Excellent. I am not as much of a nonfiction reader um, as, you know, I sometimes like wish that I was. I, I live very firmly in the realms of like romance and mystery and fantasy and some science fiction, some historical fiction. <laughs> and yet, you know, I will occasionally pick up like a memoir and then I'm like, wow, you know, sometimes 
it's very refreshing to read things that are true, but I have to have a story. Like, I feel like if I'm just reading text, like the kind of book you're talking about, you know, about Uh productivity, I feel like it's a textbook. And I'm like, no, like I went to grad school. I I did this already. I'm done with that. (laughs) Yes. I don't want any more homework. (laughs) So I kind of need to, I think, find a new way to view some nonfiction that actually like could be helpful to me, but I have this tendency to just like push it away from me. I'm like, Oh no, like that, that's dry. That's, that's intimidating. No, you're just not in a, you just are not in the place for that right this second. And you know, all the right things for yourself right now. Man, did you just hear me? Can you tell I was an English teacher for 12 years? Yes. <laughs> yes. But see, English teachers are, are very, very awesome humans because they are kind of the first people who really can instill that love of reading. I think especially for people who grow up like I did in a home where like it's fine if you want to read, but no one in my family really like loved reading. So it wasn't until I was able to meet librarians and English teachers that I could kind of find the people who were really drawn to books, like in the way that I was. Wow. That, and you know, every once in a while, so, so I taught English for 12 years at at the high school level. And now my job for the last four years, I have um, supervised and supported English teachers in my district, right? I'm actually, it's such a weird job title, but I'm the ELA specialist. Um, But I love hearing that about English teachers because they are absolutely just my favorite people and their heart is to do exactly what you said. Just, they want to get books into hands of people that love them because they know that's the way, that's the way to develop literacy skills. I feel like, you know, English teachers, librarians, like those are the the magical people. Awesome people. You know, people that just have that, that love of books. And now I guess as kind of social media Mm-hmm. is taking off and the book world has turned so much online. Um, I feel really privileged to be a podcaster and a reviewer where I get to, you know, talk with authors and talk about books with people who love them and really encourage both authors and readers to kind of come together um, through books. That's so neat. So one of the things that we love best about author interviews is that authors do a tremendous amount of reading. And so I have to ask you, because my whole Book Bistro staff will be very angry with me (laughs) if I don't, but what have you read lately that you have absolutely loved? Okay. Uh, Okay, so I've been doing, you know, everybody has their thing during the weird COVID times that it just like, it's like it changes our regular habits, right? So my way that my regular habits have been changed a little bit is that it's like, it's like as a way of comforting myself, I've been starting all of these just incredible books and like leaving them unfinished, which I have to say. It's not like me at all, but what I, what I think that my subconscious is doing is like saving up, you know, the last quarter of each of these awesome books. I'm like saving it up for myself as a safety net to, you know, finish whenever, 
you know, I'm feeling a little more secure. (laughs) Okay. It's like, you don't want the goodness to end. It's true. It's true. Um, so one book that I read recently and I, and I read it all the way through, which for me right now is just, it's, it's kind of rare. Um, I recently read KF Breen's Sin and Chocolate. Oh, I've heard such good things about that whole series. It was delightful. And then I did exactly that thing that I just told you that I do. And I got about 75% through the second book, (laughs) saving it for later. Um, and then another one that I recently read, oh my gosh, oh, this, now this one I could not put down either. Um, Parker Huntington, Devious Lies. Oh. And that one is an enemies to lover romance, not urban fantasy at all. Um, very, um, just, um, just extremely emotional, like super angst. Um, so that's one I would definitely recommend to romance lovers. Um, let's see what else. Oh, okay. So I have to say one of the best books that I've read 75% of this year. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Don't you love it? It's just so bizarre of me. I'm telling you, um, stamped from the beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. Oh, yes. Yes. Now that has been on my wait list. I'm waiting for it for my library. Okay, Shannon, like, like blew my mind. And as an educator, you know, I'm going, this needs to be in, should this be an ELA curriculum? Should this be in uh, US history curriculum? I don't know, but it, it, oh, and high school's too late. High school's too late for our students to be getting this. Um, But it, oh, it is, I mean, it's, ter- it's terribly sad. It's terribly disturbing. Um, but it is, it's so right. And the way that he wrote it, I mean, it is, it is literary. It is, it is amazing. I mean, it is just excellent, excellent, excellent. I feel like there's so much about history that we don't learn in elementary school and high school. Like there were things in history that I didn't learn until I went to college and even some things that I'm learning about now that I never learned in school. So I think anything that can cause us to take, you know, a second, third, fourth look at right. history, like is, is a good thing, whether it's through historical fiction, you know, that really gets readers thinking about like, okay, you know, this is a fictional right. story set in this time, but how, how did things really occur? Or if it's a straight up like nonfiction book that really details how things were, I think it's just vital that people have a better understanding of the people and events that came before. Oh, I completely agree. Um, and and in the word, I think it was Maya Angelou who said, you know, and and when you know better, you do better. And so for you and I, we didn't we didn't get that really important knowledge no. in our classes. But but guess what? I have a little girl downstairs sleeping who's a year and a half, you know, she's a year and a half. And by goodness gracious, that child will get that information in her school. <laughs> and we all yes. that's happening, you know? It needs, you know, it needs to happen. It needed to happen, you know, 30 years ago exactly. when, when exactly. I was in school. And exactly. it certainly needs to happen now. 
Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me about your amazing book. Can you let readers know um, not only where we can find you online, but where the best place to get your book would be? Sure. Um, so my website is www.jessicarileymiller.com. And I will tell you, if you sign up for my newsletter, I will send you the prequel for free. You can sign up right on my, right on my website. Um, and I do, you can get paperback copies um, at a lot of retailers, including Barnes and Noble and Amazon of the Ash Curse. Um, and then if you are a member of Kindle Unlimited, you can also get the Ash Curse um, through KU on Amazon. How are you enjoying KU? I've heard mixed things about it from authors. And so I'm interested as like a, a first time author, what your perspective is on that. This is one of those things that I'm in it for the long game to see. Um, I, I am not sure whether or not I'm going to stay in KU next year uh, or whether I'm going to, you know, follow, follow some different opportunities um, one thing that I think is really cool about KU for somebody like me, who's really new, who every time you see a sale, you're like, somebody bought my book. I can see whenever somebody starts reading a book on KU, um, oh. which <laughs> it, it's really cool. Um, and Shannon, like, it, it's really surprised me. I, people will read it in two days and I'm like, oh. It's a quick read. It's a very quick, compelling read. Like once you start, you're just like, okay, here we go. Well, and that's exactly what I wanted. I just wanted it to be just a quick, like, um, and and so that for me, KU is the only thing that could have told me that, you know, like I've had a couple of my friends, wow, I read this so fast. Okay. You're my friend, right? Right. But looking at the KU dashboard, like I can see, okay, it looks like two people just downloaded this and wow, they're both of them are done in three days. So can you see like when people actually finish it versus like if they return it um, before they finish it or how does that work? So you can't see, and this is why this wouldn't work for people who have been around longer. This is only works because I'm brand new and not that many people have read my work yet. Um, Ah, you can't, you can't see individual, like, you know, one person did this, um, but you can see the number of reads per day. So, okay. Um, you know, so for me, I can see at, at first, and I don't know what magical thing was going on in the Amazon system, but like at first, I think there were more people who, who were reading it and I couldn't really tell, but then, um, you know, when it dropped off and not as many people were, it wasn't as visible for a while, you know, not as many people, then I could see, oh, this page read. And I could see over the course of two days, like, oh, this one person read this over the course. Oh, I see. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So you can't see like individual, like reader Uh, one read uh, X amount versus like reader two. Cause that would, that maybe that, that might be a little too, that might be a little creepy. That'd be <laughs> weird. Probably, like that's what I was thinking when you were saying that you could see, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and it's probably creepy. Like even like what I'm saying is probably a little bit weird, but, um, but it, it's, it's, it's cool. It's been interesting to see. So do you have any idea when we can expect book two? 
February is what I'm looking at right now. Okay. Um, uh huh. So I'm looking at February and depending on what I get back from my editor, possibly even late January. So do you plan to um, update that like on your website and let people know or like on yes. Goodreads put your release date mm-hmm. so that people know when it's coming? And I'll, um, I'll put it in my newsletter and awesome. I started, um, I started a, an author page on Facebook too. So Jessica Riley Miller and I, I, ha- I have one post. <laughs> one. So yay. It was the introductory post. I remember when I did the introductory post for book bistro and I was like, wow, it's actually like a real thing now. Like it has the Facebook page. Yes, it ha- yeah, and, and seeing it just with that like blue Facebook background, it's like, okay. Like, wow, you can actually go to Facebook and see the podcast. Because <laughs> um, we started the podcast back in 2018, so we haven't really been around for a super long time. Um, and so with that, that summer of 2018, I was like, oh, we, we actually have a Facebook page. That's Never funny. mind that like, you know, I made it, so I knew that we had right. it, but right. There was just something about like that first post going up. No, that's, so, that's real. I mean, I, yes. when I made my website, <laughs> I texted one of my friends and I was like, okay, I'm really legit now. Go look at my website. <laughs> yes. Like you can actually like put your name on the internet and it like comes up. Right. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I want to congratulate you so much both on your book and the fact that as, you know, a first time author you have independently published your work I think that is amazing and I am so grateful that I got the chance to talk with you this evening and learn a little a little bit more about you and your process and I definitely look forward to continuing your series as the books come out thanks so much Shannon this was a blast for me have a great night you too and again this was an author interview with Jessica Riley Miller who has written The Ash Curse. Fantastic. So thanks again to Jessica for agreeing to talk with me. And now let's talk about some new releases. So releases were pretty sparse this week, especially books that we haven't talked about before. So I have several that we have mentioned, um, but then I have a few new ones. So this is not going to be the most jam-packed episode, but hopefully the stellar interview will make up for that. So first up, we have the books that we've talked about before, and this is one that Stacy and I have both been really looking forward to. This is The Star-Crossed Sisters of Tuscany by Laurie Nelson Spielman, and it is finally here, historical fiction, kind of a dual timeline effect. Really looking forward to this one. Um, Kristen mentioned The Bright and Breaking Sea, which is Captain Kit Breitling, book one by Chloe Neal. So this looks like um, kind of fantasy. I can't tell if it's young adult or adult, but Chloe Neal has done some incredible stuff in the past. And lastly, in terms of fantasy for young adults, Kira mentioned These Violent Delights, These Violent Delights, book one by Chloe Gong. So now we have some books that we haven't talked about before. And as I said, there aren't very many of them. Um, We have quite 
quite a bit of fantasy and two thrillers. So let's start with the fantasy. Most of this is young adult. We start with Soul Swift by Megan Bannon. And this is about a girl who is on the run from the religious order who raised her. They are hunting her mercilessly. So this kind of looks like a fantasy book about cults, which makes me super excited because I really like cult books. So this is Soul Swift, and it's a standalone novel by Megan Bannon. We then have Rebel Sisters. War Girls, book two, by Tauchi Anibuchi, and this is the sequel to last year's War Girls, which I still haven't read, but is on my TBR. I heard this author speak in the spring and just really, really liked everything that he stood for. He also has a um, kind of science fiction novel called Riot Baby that came out this year that I am looking forward to reading. So if you've read War Girls, then you're probably ready to move on. So this is Rebel Sisters, War Girls, book two, by Tauchi Onibuchi. We then move on to Breeze by Sarah Asiku. And this is kind of a superhero novel, um, a little bit maybe like Renegades by Melissa Meyer. Um, it's kind of hard to tell just from the synopsis, but this is about a teenage girl who is a star athlete. She's been running most of her life, and that's where she gets all of her solace, her joy. And then it turns out that not only is this a talent of hers, but it's also her superpower, and she uses it on an incredible mission. So this, once again, is Breeze, and it is by Sarah Asiku. And I was really interested in this, partly because Breeze, the title of the book, is also the heroine's name, and that's just a really unusual name, so I like it. Then I'm moving on to The Burning God. This is the third installment in R.F. Quing's, or Quang, I'm sorry, R.F. Quang's The Poppy War series. I read The Poppy War a couple of years ago and really, really enjoyed, especially the first half of it, which is set in kind of this like military academy. Um, but then the story moves on and you get to learn kind of about the way their magic is formed and their relationship with magic and with their deities. So it's very, very intense and fascinating. Um, I hope that you've read the first two books by now, but if you haven't, definitely go out and get them because the third one is out this week. And as I said, this is The Burning God and it's The Poppy War Book 3 by R.F. Kuang. Then I have a couple of um, urban fantasy. This is Night Watch. Soul Reader, book one, by Annie Anderson. This is a new author to me. I'm not sure if this is her debut or not. But it is about a woman who wakes up at the foot of her own grave. And she has no memory of how she got there. And so she's trying to figure out, like, why does she have a grave? Do people really think she's dead? Like, what's going on? So it's urban fantasy with a little bit of a mystery, as so much urban fantasy is. So I'm really excited for it. This is Night Watch, Soul Reader, book one by Annie Anderson. Then we move to some paranormal women's fiction. This is Magical Midlife Invasion. It is Leveling Up 
book three by K.F. Breen. And this is a series that I have not read, although K.F. Breen has been on my radar for a while, um, partly because of her Sin and Chocolate series, which we talked about in the interview um, with Jessica earlier in this episode. So you can take a look at that and hopefully it will pique your interest. But this is part of a newly emerging genre known as paranormal women's fiction. This is the third book. You should definitely check it out. It is Magical Midlife Invasion, Leveling Up, Book 3, by K.F. Breen. And now, let's talk about a couple of thrillers before we end for this week. The Lady Upstairs. This is by Haley Sutton. And it is about a woman who has made her living taking down terrible men. So this kind of makes me wonder if she's like a vigilante. And now she has blood on her hands and she's over her head in terms of like what she's gotten herself into. So this looks pretty wild and twisty. I'm excited about it. It's a debut novel. This is The Lady Upstairs by Haley Sutton. And lastly, we have a new book by author Carrie Wilkinson. This is called What My Husband Did. And I have been wanting to read this author for a while. She has some standalone thrillers. She also has a series of kind of procedural novels that feature a detective. Um, I've heard really great things just about her work in general. So I definitely plan to pick at least one of her books up and see what I think of it. But for those of you who love the twisty thrillers, you might want to check this one out. It is What My Husband Did by Carrie Wilkinson. And that is all I have for you this week. So again, not a super long episode, but I hope I have mentioned a few things that you're looking forward to. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.